and welcome back once again to the Movie A Day podcast released through the Coffee and Heroes podcast network. As promised, I moved on this week to a David Lynch week. So, David Lynch is the marmite of film directors. I think you either appreciate that he's an original and cut from a different cloth than all of the work-a-day director-for-hire types, or you just think his movies are weird and nonsensical. Ever since I discovered Twin Peaks a few years back, I've been firmly in the appreciative camp. His films are weird, but they really are unlike anything else you will watch, and are all the more enjoyable for it. They are simultaneously whimsical, frightening, horrific, comedic, and artistic. All that being said, a week of Lynch movies will mess with your head, so here I present to you my week of Weird with Mr. David Lynch. We kick things off with Razorhead from 1977. Well, Henry, what do you know? Oh, I don't know much of anything. And where else to start but with the movie that started it all, and David Lynch's debut. I'd seen nearly all of Lynch's movies before this week, but for whatever reason had just never seen a Razorhead. I'd heard some amazing things about it, and some horrible things about it. I just tried to watch it with an open mind. At its base level, a Razorhead follows the story of Henry. He is a completely unremarkable character living in a highly industrialised world. The film shows his life as he deals with his girlfriend, their mutant baby, his alluring neighbour, and the lady in the radiator. Yes, that is the description. You heard it correctly, and it's about as simple as I can put it. This film's unlike anything I've ever seen. I think that Lynch was highly influenced by German Expressionism, but he takes it even further than they ever dared. The first 10 to 15 minutes are completely silent as we follow Henry through this harsh and unforgiving world, and there is minimal dialogue throughout the whole duration of the movie itself. It really is like a waking nightmare. It has an atmosphere and lingering sense of dread that is completely unique and terrifying. You have absolutely no idea where this movie is going to go, or what imagery will appear on the screen next. I'm actually not 100% sure if I enjoyed it or not, you know, it's not really what you would call an entertaining night in. But it does stay with you. Some of the imagery is stunning and imaginative, and you do feel sorry for Henry the whole way through. It's going to sound a little corny, but I really do think of it as more of an experience than a movie. And given the impact it had on me, I will return to it someday. Maybe just not anytime soon. 7 out of 10. From there, we go on to Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me, 1992. My name is Annie. I've been with Dale and Laura. The good Dale is in the lodge and can't leave. Write it in your diary. Twin Peaks, Fire Walk With Me is a polarising movie. It was roundly booed at the Cannes Film Festival and was at the time a commercial and critical disaster. But time does funny things to a movie, and it is heralded these days as a masterpiece ahead of its time. On one hand, it serves as a prelude to the Twin Peaks TV show, which depicts the last seven days of Laura Palmer's life. It is grisly, grimy, beautiful, intense, haunting, and it gets its hooks in you and won't let go. On the other hand, it was viewed as a major disappointment, because everyone was expecting it to pick up where the TV show left off. The TV show ended on such a famous cliffhanger that people wanted that little bit of closure. You know, when Lynch announced the project, everyone thought it would give us a resolution of Agent Dale Cooper's fate. But Lynch, as he likes to be just a little bit different, was more interested in a prequel and decided to wait another 25 years before moving forward on a conclusion of Twin Peaks. But it was absolutely worth the wait. I love the movie, I think it answers a lot of questions as to Laura Palmer's destructive personality and why she behaved the way she did. 
It showed a much darker side of Twin Peaks, which is always something that Lynch is interested in, you know, the darkness beneath the sort of flashy surface of small-town suburbia. You know, but as well as showing that darker side, he still found time for the eccentricities and strange behaviour of the town's residents. I would recommend watching the show first, pretty much just because it's one of the greatest TV experiences of all time, if not the greatest. Because the movie itself will ruin a lot of twists and turns, as well as reveal the identity of Laura's killer, the mystery through which the whole show revolved. But this is a great companion piece to the series and thoroughly worth your time. As a standalone movie, I'm not sure if I could recommend it, as knowledge of the show is essential to get the most out of it. But that just gives you an excuse to watch the show again. 9 out of 10. We move on from there to Wild at Heart from 1990. If ever something don't feel right to you, remember what Pancho said to the Cisco Kid. Let's win before we're dancing at the end of a rope without music. On the face of things, this could probably be considered Lynch's most straightforward movie. Nicolas Cage stars as a character called Sailor. He killed a man in front of his young love Lula, played by Laura Dern, and was sent away to jail for five years. Upon his release, Lula is waiting for him at the gates, and they set out for California. However, Lula's mother is understandably disapproving of their relationship, and so hires a variety of hitmen to take Sailor out and return her daughter home. Simple, right? Don't believe a word of it. This is Lynch's take on the road movie, and it's like a massive, trippy fever dream. There are characters who will burn themselves onto your brain and never leave. Cage and Dern are of course the heart of the movie and they carry it effortlessly. You will believe these two are so in love that nothing else matters around them. Cage has never been better. It's easy to forget that long before his action movie days and his current run of wanting to shout at every other word, that he was the independent movie scenes poster boy. He worked with interesting directors and auteurs such as Lynch and the Coen brothers, and he is simply electric here. Dern is as far removed from her Jurassic Park role that you won't believe it's the same person. The supporting cast are all great too, and, are, and the cast is made up of the likes of Willem Dafoe, Diane Ladd, Isabella Rossellini, Harry Dean Stanton, and George McFly himself, Crispin Glover. Go into this with an open mind and a desire to see something different from the normal road movies that Hollywood tend to produce, and you will have a great time. One of Lynch's best movies. It was also awarded the Palme d'Or for Best Film at the Cannes Film Festival. Quite far removed from the reaction that Twin Peaks got at the same festival. 9 out of 10. Next up, Dune, 1984. He cares more about his men than the spice. I have to admit, against my better judgement... I like this Duke. Dune is, it's a curious movie. You know, I, I can understand it being made in the aftermath of Star Wars, another space opera based around mysterious planets, chosen ones, damsels in distress, large-scale battles, and a mythology set up to kickstart a franchise. Lynch was hot property at this point off the back of a razor head and the Oscar-winning The Elephant Man, but this movie feels like it could have been directed by anyone. That's not to say that it isn't visually beautiful. It is, but it's such a straightforward story and such a matinee type of movie that it's hard to believe that Lynch was involved in all. That's not to say it isn't visually beautiful, but it is such a straightforward story and such a matinee type of movie that it's hard to believe that Lynch was involved at all. Kyle MacLachlan makes his debut here and is excellent in the role of the young prince out to avenge his father and save the universe. You can see 
what Lynch saw in McLaughlin when he would later cast him in Blue Velvet, but we'll get to that. Other Lynch alumni, such as Jack Nance, turn up, but that is about as far as Lynch's influence goes. It's the only movie he never had final cut on, and therefore the producers were free to tamper with the movie as they saw fit. The result is a jumbled mess, with a lot of expository voiceovers and drawn-out talkie scenes. You get the feeling that there was a great movie here just crying to get out. There are rumours of a four-hour long Lynch cut that I would dearly love to see. But given his bad experiences on the film, Lynch refuses to even talk about it and has openly said he wishes he never made it. Feels like a big missed opportunity. 5 out of 10. So from one movie that doesn't feel like David Lynch to one movie that massively feels like David Lynch. And that is Lost Highway, 1997. Do you have a video camera? No. Fred hates them. I like to remember things my own way. What do you mean by that? How I remembered them. Not necessarily the way they happened. This is very much the era David Lynch entered where you either loved his movies or hated them. You know, this is a fact that was typified by a poster that Lynch himself approved for display in movie theatres with a resoundedly negative review at the top that said Two Thumbs Down by Siskel and Ebert. That, and then below that you had two more great reasons to see Lost Highway. Who says he doesn't have a sense of humour? Lost Highway is a puzzle of a movie. It has a very distorted, broken narrative. Characters morph into other characters. Mysterious men always populate the background. There is a sense of dread which casts a huge shadow over the entire film. And I loved every minute of it. The story starts off simply enough. A saxophonist and his wife find a videotape. Yes, kids, something that existed before DVDs and Blu-rays and streaming. On their front steps, left by a mystery person. They watch it and see that someone has been filming them as they sleep. Soon after, his wife is found dead and the saxophonist is sent to death row for her murder, despite his plea for in- plea of innocence. There, the character morphs into a young mechanic and starts to have an affair with a mobster's mall, who looks a lot like the murdered wife. They start to plot a robbery of a porn director's home and ride off into the sunset. Yep, it really is as crazy as it sounds. It's an absolutely beautiful movie. There is imagery, cinematography and individual shots here that are among the best of Lynch's career. Patricia Arquette is the best she's ever been and I thought her turn as Alabama in True Romance would never be bettered and she is the spine of the movie. Another masterpiece from Lynch in a movie that you actually have to pay attention to. No checking your phone or Facebook through this movie. A quaint notion, I know, but the pieces are all there if you watch closely. 9 out of 10. Next up, we have Blue Velvet, 1986. I can't figure out if you're a detective or a pervert. Well, that's for me to know and you to find out. This is Lynch's undisputed masterpiece. This is a movie that even those who find David Lynch's work too challenging or just plain weird tend to enjoy. It's probably his most linear movie. It has a definitive three-act structure, a journey of discovery for the main character, and a mystery that is resolved by the story's end. With Blue Velvet, Lynch was eager to explore America's sinister underbelly. How the facade of white picket fences, long summer days, and school dances hide darkness, despair, and pure evil. The story follows Kyle McLaughlin's character Jeffrey as he walks home from visiting his father in hospital. He looks at the ground and sees a severed ear. 
he decides to play an amateur sleuth and find out who it belongs to and why. What follows is a journey into seedy jazz clubs, alluring single mothers, psychopath drug dealers and twisted sexual fantasies, all the while pursuing an innocent high school relationship with the most popular girl in school. Blue Velvet is my personal favourite Lynch movie and he clearly re-energised his career with this. It was made in the immediate aftermath of Dune and Lynch was given full control to realise his vision. He re-established himself as an A-list director and this was his most commercially successful movie. McLaughlin shows the charm and smarts that would land him the role of Agent Dale Cooper on Twin Peaks. Isabella Rossellini did career best work here, as did Dennis Hopper, absolutely terrifying as Frank, and he created one of cinema's best and most memorable villains. Quite the comeback for him at this point in his career. I cannot recommend this highly enough, one of the single best movies ever made, 10 out of 10. And we finish our week off with Mulholland Drive, 2001. It'll be just like in the movies, pretending to be somebody else. Mulholland Drive was voted the best movie of the 21st century by the BBC, and the best picture of the decade by Calle du Cinema. Hard to believe it started life as a failed TV movie. Mulholland Drive is an absolute mindfuck of a movie. There's no other way to put it. My advice, buy the Blu-ray, and you'll actually get an insert which has 10 clues to the movie, supplied by Lynch himself as to how to unravel the mysteries of the movie and what it really is all about. For the first three quarters of the movie, it's relatively straightforward. A woman is in a car accident. She survives, but has amnesia. She stumbles into an apartment which has just been let by an aspiring actress. She takes her in, and they try to discover her identity and why what happened to her did. The film's very procedural in these early stages, you know, following clues, discovering some dark truths along the way to go with the answers. There's a love story that develops as well as insights into the actress's auditioning and how talented she may be. And then the movie throws a complete curveball and completely changes tack. Characters become inverts of how they have been presented so far. Relationships suddenly develop that seemed very unlikely before. Mulholland Drive is the closest thing to a puzzle that I've ever seen presented in film form. Similar to Lost Highway, the clues are all there, and after repeated viewings you will begin to appreciate what Lynch has done, and just how skilled a script and movie this is. It inspired me to read other people's theories of what they believe the movie to be about. I read essays and endless documents deconstructing the movie, and offering a guide to deciphering it all. Any movie that can get under your skin that much has to be applauded, and highly recommended. If it weren't for Blue Velvet, this would be the pinnacle of Lynch's career for me, but hey... I guess second place to that ain't so bad. Highly recommended. 9 out of 10. And there we have it. So after three weeks of monster movies, documentaries and David Lynch movies, I thought I would let Vicky pick the movies for next week. I'm sure it'll be quite the eclectic collection. Hope to see you guys back here next week. Until next time.